Global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm John Tucker in the Bloomberg Newsroom with this Bloomberg Business Flash. And we're brought to you by Sector Spider ETFs. Why buy a single stock when you can invest in the entire sector? Visit SectorSBDRS.com or call 1-866-SECTOR-ETF. Stocks trading lower after the long holiday weekend of the U.S. Uh, that includes renewed tension between Washington and Pyongyang. Industry groups mixed with the financial companies leading on the downside. Gasoline sliding to its lowest since Hurricane Harvey slammed the Texas coast more than a week ago. Key refineries and pipelines were pushed back into service. Libby Taboos with Cushing Asset Management says it's still not uh, back to normal for refineries in that area, though that uh, we still have a lot of variables up in the air. Uh, three to five weeks is about what uh, we're hearing, that we expect to see the majority of the capacity coming online. Valero Energy and Sitco Petroleum restarted their Texas refineries while ExxonMobil began supplying the market with fuels after repairs to a Houston pipeline, even as the hardest-hit refiners work to resurrect output. Traders are watching another major hurricane, of course, approaching from the east, Orange juice, cotton futures surging as Hurricane Irma. It has strengthened to become a Category 5 storm, but remaining on track to reach the U.S. later this week, threatening crops in southern states. The Dow Jones Industrial Average, 232 points lower. That's down 1% at 21,756. S&P 500 down 20 points. That's down to 8 tenths at 2,455. And the Nasdaq Composite Index now down 66 points, 1% lower at 63.69. We check the markets for you every 15 minutes during the trading day right here on Bloomberg. I'm John Tucker. Now back to Bloomberg Markets. Thank you so much, John Tucker. I'm Lisa Abramowitz in for Carol and Corey. This is Bloomberg. Today, we have Bloomberg Stocks editor Dave Wilson here in the house with his chart of the day. Dave, what are you looking at? Well, I mean, we had to uh, start with uh, Steely Dan's song in light of the passing of guitarist Walter Becker, who really uh, was the heart of the band with uh, Donald Fagan and passed away over the weekend. Do It Again was a particularly uh, appropriate song title because that seems to be what's happening when it comes to S&P 500 performance. You know, it's interesting. Late last week, I uh, saw a tweet from Charlie uh, Bolello over at Pension Partners talking about just sort of monthly total returns on the S&P 500. So you're looking at price changes plus dividend payments. And when I took a closer look at what's been going on, you've seen that in 17 of the past 18 months, the S&P 500 has produced a positive return. So you've got some consistency there. And then you go back to look at, well, when was the last time that happened or anything like it? And you see December 1994 until June 1996, an interesting time frame because that's really when the Internet-driven bull market of the 90s was getting underway. You know, and nowadays you hear so much speculation about whether eight and a half years into a bull market that, uh, 
you know, stocks are headed lower, that there are so many issues out there that could drag down share prices, uh, sort of change the situation in terms of where the market's headed. And then you have this comparison, which arguably flies in the face of that concern. So it's just interesting to have it out there. And indeed, if there's a positive return this month, it will match the performance from 1994 through 96 that I just mentioned. If you want to know more, folks, send me an email. I will get you the chart, the explanation that goes with it, and everything I do going forward. The email address is dwilson at bloomberg.net. That's dwilson at bloomberg.net. Thank you so much, Dave. He always is full of insight. I want to bring in someone else who is also full of insight, and she is our own Yelena Shalyetyeva. She is a U.S. economist here for Bloomberg Intelligence, and she joins us uh, here in our 1130 studios. Yelena, I want to get your take on comments that Neil Kashkari put out there today. I want to start with this. Uh, Neil Kashkari, of course, is Minneapolis Fed president. Uh, he said Federal Reserve interest rate increases may be doing, quote, real harm to the U.S. economy, and that this explains, or at least helps explain, why inflation is so low, why job growth has slowed, and why we are seeing this contraction in the yield curve and lower treasury yields and all of the other consequences uh, that are being reflected in the market. Do you agree? I don't think so. Uh, I don't think uh, it, we see any harm from uh, an increase in interest rates that uh, we've had so far. Rates remain accommodative. They, no matter how you look at it, they remain accommodative and uh, below the natural, uh, the, the neutral rate um, of the Fed fund. So, I think uh, uh, Neil Cash Carey in uh, Bloomberg Intelligence view is the most one of the most dovish uh, policymakers. And uh, his views, he dissented a few times uh, in right. the past against rate increases. Yeah, and it's one. not surprising that uh, he is talking, um, uh, speaking like that against further rates increases. Well, what's, what's interesting is, is that we also heard from uh, Governor Lael Brainerd this morning. And uh, she's very close with uh, uh, Che Yellen in, in, with respect her, uh, uh, of her view on monetary policy and he also she also cautioned us against um, being um, you know against further rate increases uh, uh, when inflation remains so low so that was quite interesting to hear uh, that she is so cautious about inflation right now so she said it's not that temporary and uh, we have seen uh, low inflation for quite some time. Just to give you some perspective, right now the implied probability of another rate hike by December is less than 29%. Uh, that compares to Friday when it was nearly 35% of a chance that was being implied by uh, Fed fund futures. So just to give you a sense that this has really shifted the market, there has been a feeling that the Fed is not going to be able to hike again, um, especially with some of this dovish commentary. I wonder, Yelena, as you sort of try to project how the U.S. economy is going to go, how much are you looking at potential trade tensions that arise from some of the rhetoric from Asia and the U.S. and North Korea? I mean, this seems concerning to me, but does it concern you? Absolutely. Anything that has to do with the global economy, trade relations could be a concern. But uh, at the same time, the U.S. economy is so much 
uh, oriented uh, to domestic economy right now. So uh, the real driving force behind the U.S. economy right now is the U.S. consumer, and, it, and the consumer has been doing quite well. So, uh, and this is not just like the the last quarter of uh, information. So that has been happening for a few quarters in a row. So I think that's uh, what's key is really wage growth and income growth going forward. So, Dave, are we seeing outperformance of consumer shares? Well, I mean, when you take a look at uh, where the S&P 500 industry groups have been this year, and you're seeing not really because, you know, consumer discretionary, this sort of broad category, which is retailers, media companies, automakers, you name it, uh, more or less in line with the S&P 500 this year. And that's sort of a change because if you look back to March 2009, in fact, consumer discretionary has been the best performer among the 11 main industry groups in the S&P 500. And we're seeing you know, the makers of consumer staples, food, uh, beverage, tobacco, that sort of group. Uh, it's actually uh, behind the S&P 500 huh. a bit this year. So, you know, it, it's been a matter, too, of, sure, I mean, consumers are doing well. It's not necessarily that they've been all that willing to go out and spend, though. I mean, we've seen that uh, trend show up in the numbers. So, you know, it's understandable that these companies might not be doing so great because they really are dependent in one way or another on, on people's willingness to go out and uh, buy their products. Yeah, and we've already seen that consumer debt, at least even if you um, exclude mortgage debt, uh, you've seen it climbing as consumers do spend. To the extent that they're ex- they're spending, they are incurring more debt. It's not. I know. I see you like raising your eyebrows, Elena. It's not to you know to say pre-crisis levels, you know, the highs, but certainly something to keep an eye on as well. In my opinion, Bloomberg Intelligence Senior Economist Elena Shulyetova, thank you so much for joining us. And of course, as always, Bloomberg Stocks editor, columnist, and blogger on M Live Go, Dave Wilson. Right now, we're going to go get world and national news. Bloomberg News is at Adrian Mitchell has that for us in our nine nine one newsroom in Washington D.C. Adrian, thanks, Lisa. President Trump is ending DACA. The Obama-era program that stopped the deportation of about a million people brought here illegally as children. Attorney General Jeff Sessions announced the president's decision. As Attorney General, it is my duty to ensure that the laws of the United States are enforced and that the constitutional order is upheld. There will be a six-month delay to give Congress time to write DACA protections into law. So what happens now? Cato Institute policy analyst David Beer tells Bloomberg Radio the impact won't be felt all at once since people got their DACA permits at different times. They get a two-year permit to work and live legally in the United States. That permit will expire you're pretty much going to have some people being able to stay in their DACA status until 2020. Some people will lose their DACA status in, in 2019, and some people will lose their DACA status in 2018. House Speaker Paul Ryan says those affected have done nothing wrong, and he hopes to find a permanent remedy for DREAMers. The latest NAFTA talks are coming to an end with no major breakthrough or agreements. The Mexico City talks followed President Trump's threat to withdraw the U.S. from the agreement. And the EU's deputy Brexit negotiator has told German lawmakers that no movement's been made in the key areas, and she's skeptical, skeptical that talks with the U.K. will be able to move on to trade next month. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Adrian Mitchell.